You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hello, and welcome to Sound of Sanity. I'm your humble and obedient host, Nathan. We've got the preacher, who's a teacher of sanity right there, Benjamin Solzer. Hello. And we've got the pastor, who's a master of sanity right there, Jacob Benzel. Hey, what's up? And we are covering the topic today of March in the Church. As always, our lovely fans on Discord, which you can access through patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Send us things they want us to talk about, and we divide it up into categories, and we do episodes where we react to these things in real time, and we've got a juicy one today for you, folks. We've got Gospel Coalition articles. We've got a lot of other things. More that Gospel aren't... Coalition articles. Nah, <laughs> this is a Atlantic article, but it's by Tim Keller, so it's basically a Gospel Coalition. We've got J.D. Greer, where we'll talk about the Asbury re- Revival. Got a Not the Bee article on... He, he gets us. We're going to do like all the hot topics today. Ooh, Christian community. We'll talk about planned communities, Christian communities. That'll be fun. All right, let's get going. So if I didn't make it clear, our fans tell us to talk about these things. And the first one is a Gospel Coalition article entitled... Savior or Stoics, why modern men look for spiritual wisdom outside the church. Basically, this is, like many a Gospel Coalition article, reacting to something several years too late in a very very generic way. (laughs) So this guy's like, ah. People are turning to self-help authors? What about Jesus? Who is this? Jordan Peterson? Uh, So here's the money quote. Quote, if reading the the Neo-Stoics leaves men, which he calls like Peterson a Neo-Stoic, like the Marcus Aurelius (laughs) of his time. If reading the Neo-Stoics leads men to prize virtue and take new responsibility for their lives, God is pleased and their neighbors are blessed. Still more, it gives the church an opportunity to consider anew what Paul meant when he urged his brothers at Corinth to, quote, act like men, unquote, and to pursue ways of doing ministry that edify men. Stoicism and self-help won't save anybody. The good news isn't synonymous with eternal life, but neither... The good life. The good... You said the good news. Sorry, the good life isn't synonymous with eternal life, but neither are these philosophies obstacles we should fear. If Christians are humble enough to learn from such books, we may feel differently about obstacles anyway. All right. Fine. Good job. Okay. Yep. All right. (laughs) Bravo. Unobjectionable. Well, lessons in the obvious. Lessons I mean, in the obvious from the Gospel Coalition. Yeah. To be to be fair, he said he quoted "Act like men" as though it meant this is it was instruction to why men. Why is that fair? I mean, I mean to be fair, they're not totally yeah. Whiffing that's it. all I mean. That's all I mean. It's okay. not a hundred percent whiff. That's every. That's all that I mean. All right. I mean, I guess. Okay, I'll say this: the question, the interesting question that an article like this raises, not because the article in and of itself is interesting, but the question that perhaps is raised by this art, this article is how much should the church be ashamed of a Jordan Peterson or how jealous of a Jordan Peterson? How proprietary should we feel about 
making sure we're the ones as the church that are actually helping people help themselves, so to speak? I think that's just such a bad question in and of itself, because here's the thing. (laughs) The reason men are looking to self-help authors and gurus is because men want help. So I don't know, instead of wringing our hands and writing think pieces about it, how about we just get to work and help people and not get our panties up in a wad about it? Men are looking to to self-help gurus because they haven't heard that a thing called Proverbs exists. So I don't know, study Proverbs and teach it to your men and commend them for wanting help and commend them for trying to seek it out. Proverbs commends men who seek wisdom wherever they can find it. And the fact is, go read a commentary on Proverbs and discover that Solomon pulled a lot of his wisdom from pagan sources and then reframed it all in light of the God of the universe. And so Solomon wasn't uptight about doing that sort of thing. You shouldn't be either. Just help men be men. Help men mature. Help young men mature and grow. And start with the wisdom of Scripture and just don't be threatened by these people. And yeah, Peterson offers a false gospel. Self-help gurus offer a false gospel. Stoicism is not the gospel. Okay. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think we treat people like such babies. Like as if the average Christian man can't watch a Jordan Peterson YouTube video, admire it, get something good out of it, and not suddenly be sucked into a Jungian vortex. I mean, I know. There are empty philosophies in the world, and they seek to take us captive, and we need to be careful. I'm not. And there's all this, kinds this of poison mixed with the, yeah. But, come on. Of course, the average man in your church is going to have seen a Jordan you Peterson know, it, and it, appreciated a Jordan Peterson video. Yeah. Or even an Andrew Tate video, for goodness sake. I had somebody send me an Andrew Tate video talking about God, and it's like, okay, I could have told this guy, do you know that he converted to Islam? Or I could have said, yeah, Tate sees some things. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what he sees. And then just brush it off as if it's not a big deal instead of treating him like some kind of golden mouth guru who I have to be threatened by. I just don't think we should be threatened by these people because they don't have, they're offering basic dad wisdom and their power doesn't lie in the wisdom they have to offer, but in the fatherlessness of the men who are seeking them out. And so the real trick is not try to dethrone them. It's take them down a peg, it's just address the fatherlessness that the men who are attracted to them feel. I think that's where the real battle is. That's where the battle for the hearts of these men are. And what they need are in-person fathers that they can pattern their lives after, fathers in the faith, because they don't have a dad at home or their dad failed them in some way. And so I just don't think, if we've got the goods, and we do, then let's carry ourselves like we've got the goods. Let's not be threatened by the self-help gurus. Let's take the places where they're addressing the felt needs of men and let's say, okay, there's something there because this is where the church has failed to step in. And so let's address those places. But then again, if you just go back to Proverbs, what does Solomon start with? It's just sex and violence, and that's all these men are about. And so go to the Proverbs. You're going to talk about sex, and you're going to talk about violence and how to channel your aggression, and you're going to talk about wealth and wisdom and using your words and how to carry yourself before other people, and ultimately, fearing God, which is the beginning of wisdom, and not fearing any man. It's going to teach mature masculinity, mature manhood. And so I just don't, 
I don't even know where I was going. I don't like. I don't well, yeah, it's a bad question. I, I think the thing that I think about all this is you can, in, in parenting, in pastoring, you can go against the grain of human nature or you can go with the grain of human nature. And the, fa- the simple fact is, if anyone's ever been a teenager, if they've had that experience, they know that when your parents feel really threatened by something, you're like, ooh, hmm, what's that? That's interesting. Right. That thing has power. Ooh, that's a movie I'm not supposed to watch. If right. The things that your parents are casually dismissive of, the things that they don't care one way or another about, those are the things that you never even channel into. And so if you want to give Jordan Peterson more power, then you can be like, oh, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, and, of course, I'm not saying never call out the wicked. We, look, we've done episodes talking about what's where we wrong with Jordan Peterson. Yeah, the bad, faulty. We have a whole episode where we deal with a segment uh, called Monsters in the Attic, where we talk about Jung and we talk about his evolutionary view of things and all kinds of stuff like that, right? The pop psychology of it, the shallowness of it. We deal with all of that. You should be able to deal with all that and you should be able to casually point it out to people and say, yeah, have you ever read Young? This is just Young. But it is that same sort of thing. It reminds me of a, of a, of a Doug Wilson art, article on porn that I don't remember much about it except just that same sort of thing of like, how about instead of... Lending power to these things. Yeah, lending power to them by, by needing to chop them down to size, we just dismiss them as the gross, disgusting, perverse, degrading thing they are, and then move on. Yeah, I can actually give you another example of that sort of dynamic playing out. These days in the kind of Theo bro circles, you see a lot of people that are like, actually, video games are totally cool and totally okay. And they make a big deal out of it. And the reason that they make a big deal out of their Christian freedom to play video games is because the generation right before them was like, ah, video games, what a waste of time. I feel uh, threatened by them. I feel threatened by it. And they lent a certain power to and video games. Actually, if you just don't care about video games that much. No, I'm not saying there aren't, again, not saying there aren't things to talk about with video games. Not saying there aren't evil things to expose about video games. But you can accidentally lend so much dignity to your enemy by feeling threatened by him, by giving him potency and agency. Yeah, and the real way to disarm the enemy is, again, to just be the one who's going to be first on the scene talking about these sort of things anyway. Because, that I mean, that's the other thing. We were talking about this. I was teaching a class on Proverbs last night, and and we camped in Proverbs 5 for half a minute. And one of the men pointed out that part of... So Proverbs 5 is a really, really spicy passage. One of the spicier passages in Scripture sexually especially once you start to study the Hebrew of it. I won't go into it, but you read it and just let your imagination fill in blanks. Mm -hmm. And whatever your imagination fills in, there's actually more to it than that in Hebrew. But this is actually a father writing to his coming-of-age son. And so one of the men was talking about, well, when a father speaks this candidly about sex to his son, man, does that just disempower and disenfranchise. It just it strips all of the locker room talk and all the locker room chatter and all of the the sexy girl on the corner of their power and potency. Because the dad's just sort of casually talking about the allure of the loose woman and the beauty of sex with your wife and really enjoying her in a way that's backed by experience, backed by decades of history, backed probably by some mistakes and really alive and potent and powerful. 
And that's what we have to be doing. We have to be willing to do that sort of thing, to use the been there and done that's that God's given us, to use the wisdom that God's given us in his word, to use the wisdom of decades and generations to show people, this is how the world works. These are the patterns. This is what you can expect. This is what's actually good. And there are always going to be guys out there offering you five easy ways in a woman's pants or whatever. Worthless men. All right. Well, let's move on to our next article. And this is, I think somebody maybe just wanted us to talk about pedo-baptism, if I'm <laughs> understanding this correctly. We are all pedo-baptist on this podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Correct. Because we read our Bibles mm-hmm. and we saw what they said. <laughs> and, and we believed it. We believed it. <laughs> and then we began to put it into practice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Next article. No, uh, somebody just linked to a Gospel Coalition article from 2007. Yeah, so this person just wanted to dig up anything to make us talk about... Pedo-baptism. baptism We're for it. We're for it. <laughs> we are for it. That's all we have to say. <laughs> we can We're also not for dividing over it or making too big a deal out of it. Our, our church and our presbytery do allow both forms of... Yeah, we allow freedom of conscience over of that, <laughs> and that makes us fairly unique among Presbyterians. There you go. That's our that's our novelty, the thing that you can pin on us. And people do accuse us of being liberals or something like that for it. What we would say to someone of a credo-baptistic disposition is you should cling on to the covenant promises of God. Even and if, believe them for your kids and right. raise your kids to walk in the way. You're not to just treat, like, them, treat them as part of God's covenant family, as part of the church. You're not doing the worst of what a bap- bap- mainstream Baptist culture can do, where it's like, well, let's just wait and see let's if tri- yeah. Johnny says his prayer, and until I, then, until our hands then, are tied. Yeah. yeah, we can't disciple him in any meaningful way. We can't teach him. <clears throat> we can't even really truly begin to obey anything that God says until he's had his, prayed his prayer. Right. So let's forget that. No, just raise your kid to walk in God's ways from a young age. And believe that and the promises are for believe your children the promises and your are for them children. And, and apply God's promises to them and call them to repentance and faith from a young age and trust God to work in time, over and, the course of time. And then in our denomination, how, however that expresses itself in terms of the actual sacrament, it's fine. Not however, but, yeah, but whether it's mm-hmm. believer's baptism or infant baptism. And we'll also do dedication things. Anything we else you can allow you to be wrong. We will allow you to be wrong. We're generous like that. Mm-hmm. High-minded. Well, that goes without saying. Right. We take well. the high road <laughs> inevitably. Inevitably. In any and every circumstance. We can't stop ourselves. We cannot it's, stop ourselves. We're like you're careening. as high-minded as we are. We've We're careening tried. out of control down <laughs> the high road. <laughs> <laughs> ever higher and ever higher. Ever higher. Further up. Further, further up. In, and further in. Mostly further up. Yep. mostly we just get higher and higher baby (laughs) all right our next article is by timothy keller and he wrote an article for the atlantic about the church being in decline but as timothy keller article um, argues in this article there are secular reasons not to want that because secular sociologists have found that people need community and found family to anchor them. And it's hard for other organizations to do that. So it would cost the government a lot of money to replicate what the church already does. Please like me. Please like me. 
Sorry, Keller, I don't trust a bald guy who squints. <laughs> you know who else is a bald guy who squints? Lord Voldemort. <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Boom. Uh, what's wrong, Keller? Allergic to your own BS? <laughs> He is a bald guy that squints, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's nice bald guys that squint, but Voldemort is a bald guy who squints. Let's just end up healthy. Quality. It's the high road. It's what we always take. Yeah, right. So he, then he gives these five reasons, the five ways the church can grow. Okay. Because the church needs to grow, because remember, it provides community for society in a way that would be hard for the government to replicate. So you guys ready for these five things? Yeah. Number one. Speak compellingly to non-Christians, affirm what's best about them, and then direct them towards Jesus. That's the first one. That's what, really? Hmm? Yeah. Okay. Kind of like how right. Jesus affirmed what was best about people in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I read it. <laughs> I know you their... all never look at a woman with lust in her heart. <laughs> he affirmed their best aspirations and longings. Right. I know that when you look at a woman with lust... You're just looking for that divine beauty because of oh the spark goodness. of divinity implanted in you. I mean, that's like horribly... <laughs> that is how people that, interpret that it. That is how, yeah. People actually need... Oh my goodness. There was it's, a guy sending us this book about how lustful intent only means if you actually intend to commit the physical act of adultery. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, admiring that divine bit of beauty is... Yeah, this guy wrote a whole book just he so wrote he wrote a whole book about porn. that. Good book. Uh, number two... <laughs> Good, number two. Good book. Man, we could just park on number one and have an episode there. Uh, yeah. So bad. Uh, let's keep so moving, bad. though, because it's why. Number two, unite justice. <laughs> yeah. Guys, Excuse you're not me. paying attention to Excuse these guys. This, is, this is the way that the Please. church is going to uh, grow again. No. Finally, unite justice and righteousness. What? Why didn't I think of that? We need to stand up for black people. He didn't say that, but that's my paraphrase. But also call people to Jesus, not do one or the other, like dumb churches. Oh, that's what we've been doing wrong the whole time. Yep. Kind of like how Jesus made a big show of standing up against the Roman oppressors. He was always like calling for justice because his And righteousness. And righteousness. Together. Together. Man. I'm being sarcastic, right. folks. Jesus <laughs> went out of his way not to stand up to the Roman oppressors many times. Okay, number, you guys ready for number three? Yep. Embrace the multi-ethnic character of Christianity. Okay. Sure. Sure. Kind of like how Jesus <laughs> told that lady the food is for the children, not the dogs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the multi-ethnic character. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Tim Keller. And number four, strike a dynamic balance between innovation and conservation. Uh, that's the dynamic balance I've been missing this whole time. If we had just... If my balance was more dynamic, <laughs> if yeah. my balance was more dynamic mm -hmm. and my dynamism was more balanced... Mm -hmm. So as I count it, we actually perfectly agree with two of these four points, and even if we think his phrasing is dumb, right? And, and, and two of them stink. Strike a dynamic balance between innovation and I mean, conservation. That, that, is a, that is a terrible way of saying a true thing. Sure, and I like to think that we do that to the best of our ability. Absolutely. Also, he probably means dumb things by it, if I may be uh, so yes. bold. No, I, having read more Keller, <laughs> but having other Keller in my mind, yes, agree. Uh, number five, the church has in its, this isn't really a thing to do, but he says, the church has in its favor what the Catholic philosopher Charles, Charles Taylor called 
the unquiet frontiers. The important thing is that he referenced a Catholic philosopher. <sighs> yes, of he's course. He's a sophisticated man. He's a sophisticated man. And he, he, he reads widely, and he reads outside the bounds of his own tribe, mm. so he's not tribalistic. He's not tribalistic. I'm published in the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about this. Oh, no. Well, I, I skipped the part where he quoted from all the secular sociologists about community. Like, that goes yep. on and on. Atheist philosopher, so-and-so. I mean, it is like that bad. So, uh, the unquiet frontiers of modernity. In other words, people are unsatisfied with their lives. And so, we got to reach them. Like, like people feel they, they live quiet lives of, or lives of quiet desperation or whatever. And so, that's a good niche for us. We can reach people there. Sure. Oh, boy. I don't have a kind of like Jesus for this one. Kind of like Jesus met us on the unquiet frontiers of modernity when he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven <laughs> is at hand. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you guys would like to say about this article by Tim Keller? It goes on and on. It, then it's got seven things and ten things. And no, nothing to say. It's just bunk. <clears throat> It's just, hey, look at me. I'm published in The Atlantic. Okay. Look at me. I can lend continued credibility to legacy news networks so the boomers will continue to fall in line. Yep. Okay, boomers. That's what we have to say about that. All right. Next is a... Tweet by J.D. Greer. He says, churches should be the safest place for teenagers with same-sex attraction to come out. We should stand against discrimination in the it's LGBT community. It's a tweet by him. It's a clip of yeah. him saying oh, that right, sort right, of right. thing. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we should stand against discrimination in the LGBTQ community and that people who do not do this are Satan dressed up in Jesus clothes. He's good at rhetoric. Yeah. What do you guys think about that tweet? <laughs> About that clip, I or, or, or about clip. that. It's, what do you think about that idea? The church should be a very safe place for someone to confess. Yeah, I mean, season. there's the truth of that, and there's what he probably means by that. But I don't know without having watched it. I would say the church is, should be a wonderful place for someone to confess that he's a murderer. It should be a really dangerous place for someone to bring an axe and try and bury it in <laughs> Grandma's skull. <laughs> we right. could, you want to play this clip? It's like 58 seconds. All right, let's hear comment it. on it. Okay, I just said it, but let's let's hear you, it. You, yeah, you probably said all there is. Well done. You say, you must say, I love you more than I love being right. And so even if you don't see things my way, I'm going to keep bringing you close and I'm going to remain committed to you. This is where the Christian community has so badly failed to live out Jesus's ministry. The church ought to be the safest place on the planet for a teenager with same-sex attraction to reveal that or to come out. Because sinners were always safe exposing their hearts to Jesus. It does not mean that we consent or agree it just means we never turn away and we never stop loving and we never stop drawing them close. And we, church, we must be the biggest advocates against, biggest advocates against discrimination and abuse against the gay community. And where we have not, church, we must repent. And if some of you have been the victims of that abuse, tragically, often it was done in the name of Jesus. That was not Jesus. That was Satan dressed up in Jesus' clothes because that is not what Jesus was. All right. He's a little bit more careful about closing off avenues for criticism than I was in my rendition. But that's pretty. But I was. I mean, it's pandering. It's, it's pandering. pandering. Can I just say it's not exactly addressing the clip itself, but just in terms of rhetoric, I hate it when men dress up in 
man clothes, to use his phraseology, in order to simp and flatter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he's like, I'm going to flatter all of you right now by, by being hardcore. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Hey, that thing you believe, I believe it too. It's just like so. And people that don't believe it have hurt us. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> they're satanic. <laughs> they're Satan. Yeah, I, Nobody in this room I've been is watching, the Satan of this. Exactly. Yeah, well, I've been watching this clip play silently, just watching his like his facial expressions and his body, his the rhetoric of his body movements. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty like, I don't trust you. I hear the pandering and the rhetoric, and it goes with what I'm seeing in his face and his manner. Yeah, I mean, even if we agreed with his point, I don't think I think we would all be triggered by the manner in which he's portraying it. There is just something. Well, he actually said f- several false things. He said, or he said several things falsely, like the church should be the safest place for a gay teenager to come out. That's very closely that's signaling to the secular audience, hey, we believe in gays coming out. That's a good thing, and to the church, oh, I still believe in repentance too, and. Well, he said both things. He said yeah. for a teenager to reveal that they have same-sex, attempted by same-sex attraction yes. mm-hmm. or to yes. come out. So yep. he said both He's and. Like, so he makes them equivalent. And he, yeah, he, not. he equivocates between them in such a way that if you want to hear, mm-hmm. I'm revealing my temptations, I'm confessing sin, mm-hmm. that's what you can hear. And if you want to hear, I'm coming out and I'm being expe- accepted expe- as expect expecting to be accepted, yeah. then you, you can, can hear, hear that, that too. And doing it like this helps conservative Christians to actually maybe feel like he's got an edge and a manliness to him. Whereas if he did it like this, I think his audience would hear more of the other, the the liberal side of things. He does more than one thing like that in that clip. It's pretty slimy. Yep. Yeah, he, I mean. I don't know what else to say about it. Nope. I'm done. All right. Okay. All right. Next, we have a article from slowtowrite.com, and this is from Samuel Say. He is a black fella, and he wrote an article called, Have I Experienced Racism in America? And the answer is basically no. He's a gentleman who moved from Canada mm-hmm. to the United States of America, and he's just like, based on all the rhetoric, I thought I'd run into some racism. But actually, not so far. Feels pretty normal. Feels Believe black people. That's what I have to say. Yeah. Believe black people. <laughs> well, what this made me think of, I'm not a person of color, as they say, but uh, it is always interesting to get off of Twitter and go outside yep. and realize that all these kind of struggles that we think define us. Have you met anyone that has that point of view or that acts that way or that is anything like engaged in the culture war that you think you're engaged in? And I'm not saying we shouldn't go on social media. I'm not saying we shouldn't stand for truth. I'm not saying, but it's just always interesting to go outside and smell the roses. Hey, all right. here's something that we're way behind on giving a hot take on. But it's right there in our feed. It's right there, there in our is. feed. But Ben had twins. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I like to say his wife had him, but Ben's like, I had the twins as her federal head. I'm like, All right, dude. 
All right. <laughs> Have fun in your little patriarchal bubble. And he says, I will. It's a <laughs> testosterone filled bubble. It's made out of soap and testosterone. I'm like, okay, Ben, you're weird. But Asbury <laughs> Revival. So that's a Fight Club reference or what? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, soap. Uh, listen, no, you make bubbles out of soap. You guys know how bubbles work, right? You got this bubble wand or bubble blowing device. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, fill yeah, it with yeah, some, yeah. Like, some dish yeah, soap or something. I was just confused about... And then you, so Ben's living in a bubble. There must be soap in that bubble, but there's also... There's testosterone. Testosterone, yeah. red meat. That's right. Pipe smoke. All kinds of good All kinds of stuff. wonderful things in Ben's bubble. So it's a strong bubble. An unbreakable bubble. An unbreakable <laughs> bubble, yes. <laughs> the unbreakable bubble of Ben's patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got the Asbury Revival. A, they've had a lot of revivals there. They had one in 1905. They had one in 1950. They had a pretty famous one in 1958. And then they just had a big one, and it's 1972. done. 1972. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't well. Yeah. And, yeah. And everybody had a take on it, and we are way late to the party. I almost feel like we shouldn't even have a take, but our fans and demand I don't. it. Jake doesn't have a take. Nope. Nope. Mm. Pray for the kids. Yeah, I mean. Hope it bears fruit. I feel annoyed that I have to. I feel annoyed that the fact is, it's like anything else. You shall know them by their fruit. You shall know a thing by its fruit. Unless they're doing something obviously evil which I've heard varying reports as to whether this thing is pro-LGP or whatever, but I haven't done the research mm-hmm. to really know that one way or another, then you just have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. The mark of a great medicine is not, does it make the patient feel better? It's, does it make the patient get better? And you can only tell that with time. So do I feel a general kind of cynicism about this kind of thing? Yes. Do I feel bad that I have a general cynicism about this kind of thing? No. I think it's uh, cynicism is maybe the wrong thing to have and the wrong word to use, but I don't think that you have to accept things like this at face value. I don't see that as the scriptural precedent for dealing with these kinds of things. There's been a lot of phony revivals and fake revivals and lame revivalism. The 20th century and the 21st century are replete with fake revivals. So I think it's totally fair to ask questions. For everybody to two seconds after this thing happened, rush in with their definitive answer seems unhelpful. Well, it just sounds like people want to have their moment in the spotlight. So anything's worth talking about. Well, and you only have two. It's like you have two choices. You can either say, I'm just glad to see that Jesus is working. And I think it's lame that anyone would even question it. Like that's one option. That's option A. And then option B is... Well, another phony example of mainstream emotional stupid yeah. American evangelicalism well, run amok. Right. You can find someone that you like or someone you don't like who happened to visit it or promote it. Right. And you can make your judgment based off of that. Well, this guy was there. I know he stinks. Therefore <laughs> Right. Oh I mean whatever. Yeah. It was a big deal. Stinky people were going to go. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I I just think... Uh, Opportunists are going to be opportunistic about things like this. So what do you expect? Yeah. Yeah. And so I bet whatever it was, it probably fell somewhere in the middle between those, the two options that we have. I bet there were probably some, some, some sincere people in there somewhere. And I bet there were probably some hucksters in there somewhere. Just like anything... 
All right. Next, we have an article from the Vile Babylon B. Actually, it's a Not the B article, but they're from the same lame company. Yes, Seth, I know you like Not the Babylon B and give us their articles, and I don't mind you doing it. I'm glad that people find it a good repository of conservative news stories and interesting stories. I just don't like the Babylon B. I think they're opportunistic hacks who pander to the lowest common denominator. Why don't you be more open about what you think? Okay. What do you really think? Well, I wouldn't want to use that kind of language on a family <laughs> podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, Babylon B sucks. But not to be as an article on people screeching about the he gets us ads. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah. So in this case, it was actually a bunch of progressives because the, the Super Bowl this is a very topical yeah. podcast we're doing today. Um, the Super Bowl had, oh, Ben had a babies. What do you want? We couldn't record for a while. Yeah. The Super Bowl had these he gets us ads. And so people were releasing all this stuff like, with the money the he gets us campaign spent, they could house 1,563 people experiencing homelessness. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. The What you'd expect. The Judas. Uh thing i'm sure people have compared it to the this are this not the b article does compare it to it does it does yep compares it to judas yeah and that's what you'd expect on it's it's like of course that's wrong the gospel is what's important but the whole he gets us campaign and whether it should exist at all is a different question i think it's terrible yeah my finger is going over the sound effects i don't have anything to say about it All right, finally, I believe this is the last thing. We have a Discord friend asking about... Ridge Runner USA. Ridge Runner USA, something that I did not know about before he Likewise. Po- posted it. But basically, it's... I guess planned community isn't exactly right. Planned community is like what they have in Poltergeist. It's just like, we designed this neighborhood to be a neighborhood but it's a i I think they call it an intentional community (laughs) it is a community that you buy into the values of said community so you go to this website and they're like hey are you a fiscally conservative christian with values and stuff you want to come live in on this beautiful land and make like our own town together Mm mm-hmm because we're selling lots. Here's the prices. You want a phone call? Put your f- number and your email in the thing. Here's some beautiful pictures. And our Discord buddy felt uncomfortable with that. And he wanted to know what we thought about the whole thing. Yeah, he brought up whether or not they, there was going to be a church there. Are there are people planting a church as they go? There's certainly this company, Ridge Runner, is not planting right. a church. It doesn't mention a church plan. It doesn't. It's just about like-minded people moving to the same area together. So seems like it could be anything or nothing. Or I yeah, don't I don't care if like-minded people want to live in an area together. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I do not personally want to go live with like-minded people in an area. No, I'd rather live in Evansville with unlike-minded people and lots of like-minded people. Also, like I just think that's more fun less lame, but that's the temperament thing. I probably a personality thing. I don't necessarily, I I will say 
I don't know that Ridge Runner falls into this trap. I don't really know much about it, but I do not like utopian communities. I've just seen too many sci-fi and horror movies and <laughs> they never work. Oh, so when man. a website's like, come live on our beautiful land and be I, I part just, of I our just beautiful... like how you're not, like I've, I've read a lot about the history of Utopian. You're like, I've seen this, the sci-fi movies well, <laughs> where they fail. Right. I've seen the <laughs> We live near New Harmony. New Harmony was, you want some history, Ben? Yeah, Nathan. <laughs> New Harmony was founded by the Harmonists, the Harmony Society. They thought Jesus was going to come in a few years. So they were going to all get together, and they were going to have their little town, mm-hmm. and they were going to have their little values. And that lasted like eight years or something. Then mm-hmm. they s- sold it to some Scottish dude in the 1850 or something like that. And the Scottish dude was like, hey, I can start my own utopian community in New Harmony. So goodbye, Christian utopians. I'll start kind of a secular utopia. And so he got all these thinkers and geologists and feminists of the time to come and pool their resources and start their community. And I think that lasted for about 10 years. And now New Harmony is just this dippy town that's near us that's got some interesting relics Mm -hmm. of all that. But I actually went down a rabbit hole reading about utopian communities in the 20th century and 21st century, they never last. There are some, I guess you could argue for the Quakers and the Mormons. You could argue for that if you wanted to call that a utopian, you know, little community. They've lasted. But in Indiana alone, in Martin County, we have the Pandanamarin settlement, which was a commune, a commune, a commune I should say, around mm-hmm. a sawmill where they would all work at the sawmill and then they'd pool their resources and they had their own little Christian quote-unquote, community where they just shared everything. And that lasted for 30 years, but then the sawmill went out of business and people didn't want to buy saw sawed things anymore. <laughs> and their community fell to pieces. I won't do all, I won't say all the research for you folks, but just look up, go to Wikipedia, type in utopian communities, and you can just read about community after community after community after town after village after city in the United States of America during the 20th century and certainly during the 18th century or the 19th century, I should say, where people were like, hey, let's get together and shut out the world and make our own little place where we can all share our values in common. And they just always get abandoned. Out. They last for like 10 years max. It just it does not work. And the ones that have lasted have lasted because they abandoned some of their ideals and like Pandanamarin settlement in Martin County, Indiana. Technically they still exist, but it's because they got rid of the sawmill and said, Hey, we're not going to all pool our goods anymore. We're going to go get jobs. And so now it's just like a a town, a a town. Yeah. (laughs) But they'll claim our community has thrived. All No, it hasn't. You guys might share some values, but your, your whole dream of living together and creating something that was protected, sheltered from the world, didn't actually work. And there's famous ones that you could read about. Uh, like in, The Village. Yeah, it's like The Village. How did that work out for him? I'll tell you, Adrian Brody was dressing up as a stick monster and stalking women. Yeah. That's creepy. how well that worked. Very creepy. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix got sick and she had to go to the Outer Lands and get some medicine from M. Night Shyamalan. And the movie was terrible. (laughs) 
What a slog. <laughs> I walked into that movie liking M. Night Shyamalan, and I walked out hating him. Um, what a terrible... That's what Utopia can do. <laughs> That's what Utopia can do. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, anyone who promises you can live without sin, without grief, without pain, without interpersonal conflict is promising something that has never existed on this planet. And He is I, preparing you for terrible, yeah, <laughs> terrible times. Right. It's probably somebody that wants to have sex with your children. I mean, okay, that's a little harsh, I guess. But, not really. But not really. These kinds of stories are just... They're often, often backed by narcissistic perverts. Right, exactly. I mean, Jonestown, of course, is the most famous one from the 20th century, Jim Jones. And even the kind of less utopianish version of that, the one where we Christians just start our own little town in America, any town USA, and we have our own doctor and our own school system. and our It's like, yeah... There's some version of that that I could get behind. And I'm all about being smart about, well, we are going to increasingly find ourselves ostracized by the medical community. So we need to be able to take care of that. You know, there are wise things that Church of the King has talked about, about those kinds of considerations. Yeah, we've talked about being able to maintain some kind of parallel economy if if and when Christians are just outright shut out of things. I hate this term, but in some sense, that's like a necessary evil, though. It's not because we think it'd be so awesome and solve all our problems to have our own currency. It's because our backs are up against the wall and maybe we need to do something like that. In general, in the book of Romans and in Christian history, what you see is people existing in their cultures and not going to start enclaves, at least not going to do it successfully. So, yeah, I'm deeply suspicious of anyone who promises you utopia. I think they're probably trying to replace you with a robot or feeding you to some Lovecraftian beast that lurks in a well at the edge of their town. Or, more likely, the non-sci-fi, non-horror versions of those things, which are so creepy and disgusting that we don't want to talk about them. But Jonestown would be the obvious one. So... I don't really know that that's what Ridge Runner USA is. Doesn't look like it to me. <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> Ridge Runner USA is a sex oh, cult gateway to hell. or a, <laughs> uh, driven by some Lovecraftian monster necessarily. Necessarily. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm not going to say they're neo-Nazis. 100%. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm not going to say they want to sacrifice your daughter. FBI PSYOP. CIA PSYOP. They're just trying to gather us all into the gulags in advance. Yeah, probably. This is what I'm going to say. If you're like... They yeah. come and put a fence around us and put us to work. They'll put one of those, like in that Stephen King novel or in the Simpsons movie, they'll put a big uh, like a bubble over us. Uh, a dome? A dome. Yeah, under the dome. I guess the more serious version of what I'm saying is, if you think you can solve all your cultural problems and all your sin problems, if you just feel the urge, yeah, I just want to move to Kentucky and be part of this community and things will finally be great. I'll, uh, my kids will go to a, a school where they'll be taught the right things and uh, maybe I could spank my kid and somebody wouldn't call CPS. Those aren't necessarily in and of themselves bad things to long for, but you don't want to be snookered into thinking you could just move somewhere and all your problems would be solved. Because that's dumb. All right, gentlemen, that is March in the Church. 
Any other thoughts about anything we've talked about? No. Nope. Zero. Now, we are maintaining a Patreon. Ah, yes. That you can go to at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. You can be part of the ultimate utopian community. All your problems will be solved. What you got to do is give us your money. You can buy a little thing called happiness. Give us your money and we give you Kool-Aid. Yep. And that Kool-Aid is great Christian content. (laughs) And literal (laughs) Kool-Aid laced with strychnine. (laughs) We're going to meet the alien, everybody. (laughs) His name is Jesus. (laughs) He crossed the border. Um, (laughs) Wow. I'd like to formally apologize for that Jesus comment. And I will be leaving the country because I don't deserve to live in a great place like America if I'm going to make comments like that. Patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Until next time. Stay sane. <laughs>